tonight we are going to continue in part two of our series, uh, Becoming the People of God. Uh, last week uh, we took a journey through most of the Old Testament, starting in Genesis, and um, we went through uh, the exile of the children of Israel in, in Babylon, and then we, we jumped to First Peter, and we talked about who God has called us to be, who we belong to. We talked about our identity as people who were once not a people, but God has made us his people and what it means to be his people and live in that reality. And so tonight we're going to continue in this series, Becoming the People of God. And we're going to go back to 1 Peter uh, here in just a little bit. So if you want to turn, we're going to be in, in 1 Peter chapter 2 tonight in just a little bit. But I want to I share a story, if that's okay. Uh, most of you guys, you don't know this man. His name's Dick Schroeder. He's, he's been to Troy maybe three or four times uh, to speak at our worship service. And he's maybe spoke at a spring retreat. Um, which, by the way, if you haven't registered for spring retreat, I have two spots left. See me after service. I can squeeze you in. Um, and so I've had a, a few opportunities to just sit and have conversations with Dick. And he also uh, did our training for those of us who are, are CMIT trainers, uh, campus missionaries in training. Um, he does our training to help us uh, develop our curriculum. And so uh, Dick passed away this past August. And it was kind of, kind of incredible to think about Dick's life. But what's unusual is, is Dick organized and planned his own memorial service. Uh, he was diagnosed with uh, terminal stomach cancer sometime this summer, and he knew that his time uh, on this earth was short, and he wanted to make sure that the people that, that came and gathered to remember him were encouraged by his life and by his ministry. And, and in this very powerful moment in his, his own memorial service, uh, speaking to a camera, a pre-recorded video, he, he tells his wife, Joy, he said, Joy, we lived the right way, and I have no regrets. So what you don't know about Dick is, <clears throat> Dick was saved on a university campus. He was uh, an engineering student who grew up in a pagan household, and he accepted Jesus uh, because of these people uh, doing campus ministry. And from there, Dick felt called to do full-time campus ministry, and he spent almost 40 years uh, as a missionary with Chi Alpha, serving um, in Bozeman, Montana, and, and around the U.S. What, what most people don't realize when they meet Dick for the first time is they notice he always travels alone, and that's because early on in their ministry, uh, his wife was in a terrible car accident. It was not her fault, and she was paralyzed from the waist down. And so for most of his life in ministry, he did the things that God called him to do while also caring for his wife, who in a lot of ways was not able to do things for herself. And Dick could have been angry or bitter and said, God, why did this happen to me and my family when we're serving you? But to meet Dick and to meet Joy, you, you would never hear any bitterness in their voice. You would never hear them uh, even think about questioning God. And so this summer when we got the news that Dick had been diagnosed with cancer, it hit most people hard, and a lot of people traveled out to Bozeman, Montana to meet with Dick. And it, it's so funny when people would come back and tell me about their meeting with Dick, they would say, I was crying and I was sad because I thought to myself, God, why would such an awesome man of God who's still serving the kingdom, it's just not fair. It's not fair that he would get stomach cancer and that he would have to die this slow, painful death knowing that and when he's gone, no, he's not going to be able to take care of his wife, who's still in a wheelchair, who's still uh, up until his death depended on him. 
why? Why? It's not just. It's not right. It's not fair. Dick never complained. Instead, in his last days, he began plotting how he was going to encourage the body of Christ to stay faithful. And out of his memorial service, there were three things that I heard repeated over and over. He lived the right way. He, Dick always said that success in life is obedience to Jesus. Success in life is obedience to Jesus. And he would always say, and every Christian can live this way. Now, what's kind of funny about me telling you a story about Dick is Dick and I were very different people. Uh, Dick is the epitome of a loving, kind, generous, gracious human being. <clears throat> That's not to say that I don't have any of those qualities. But Dick and I were very different. And, and on a few occasions... Uh, we may have had some conversations about theology, and I may have cared a little bit more about our beliefs and our doctrines and our ideas and how we got there, and there may have been time when we were making our curriculum for our CMIT program that he told me I was, um, was going to make people cry if I corrected their bad theology in, in such a harsh way, and maybe I should be a little bit gentler and softer. <clears throat> and um, anyways, Dick and I, we were, we were very different people. And while I probably don't agree with all of his, his, his ministry philosophy or his beliefs, I can say this for sure, that he lived well for Jesus. He lived the right way. And I think Dick embodies what, what, what we're going to get at here in, in 1 Peter tonight. Now, there's some themes through 1 Peter that I want to kind of lay out for you before we get into the text. Um, some things we see repeated over and over in this, this book. So Peter, he's writing to a handful of churches or Christians that are scattered throughout what we know as modern-day Turkey. Um, these are mostly Gentile believers. These are people um, who are being poorly treated by their, their Roman uh, counterparts or, or those who have, have not become followers of Jesus. And so we hear this idea of exiles in, in Peter's, Peter's language. He talks about being exiles and sojourners. This idea that this is not your home, that you don't belong here, and we're going to focus in on that, that theme tonight. Uh, we hear, hear this idea of identity. We talked about that last week, this idea that you are God's people for his purposes, and that that's your identity, and that's who you are. Um, and then there's this word that he uses. I'm going to call it lifestyle. I think in the text we'll look at, sometimes uh, it, it, it translates it as lives, sometimes it translates it as conduct. But it has this idea of a pattern of behavior that's repeated throughout one's life, uh, not just a single incident. And what's unique is, is Peter uses this word six times in, in his letter uh, to these churches. And so we're going to focus on, on these ideas as we uh, read and discuss the text tonight. So last week, we discussed and read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And so I'm going to read that first. Uh, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so then in chapter 11, Peter continues with these instructions, and we're, we're kind of starting a new section here in First Peter. He says, Beloved. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, 
which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Tonight, I submit to you that if we are going to be the people of God, that he has called us to be and identified us as, we must learn to live like this is not our home. That means that these are not our people. This is not our lifestyle. This is not our home. Now, when Peter is writing this, there's a unique problem that we find. And it's actually the same problem that we're dealing with tonight that we face in our own lives. So, When we read a text in scripture, we want to ask these questions. What was the intent of the original author? So what did Peter mean to say when he wrote this? And then we have to ask, what was the understanding of the original hearers? What did these churches scattered throughout Turkey understand when Peter's letter was first read to them? And what's difficult for us here is Peter is using this imagery, this language of being exiles. He talks about Babylon, which is code for Rome. But he uses this language that comes from the history of Israel and who they were and their time in exile, in imprisonment. The problem is, is these Greeks are not Jewish people. They don't have a context or a grid because they were never captives because the Romans were the people who captured everyone else. They were the conquering class in this scenario, not the ones in exiles. And so Peter is using this language from the Old Testament, this language of exiles, and he's writing to people who are still living in their hometown, speaking their home language and their home culture among their own people. I can imagine this was a little bit confusing for them to have to dig in. And and I just want to encourage you, if you want to have a better concept... Because most of you in this room, you still live in the same culture that you were saved out of. But maybe you don't think of it as being saved out of. But for most of us, with the exception of our international students who are in the room, you are currently living in the culture that is familiar for you. But somehow, you have to figure out, how do I live as an exile in my own hometown among my own people? And this was the challenge to the churches that Peter was writing to. What does it mean to live as an exile? Now, you can go and read Daniel. I alluded to some of the stories in, in Daniel, but the, the first six chapters of Daniel, they're very familiar stories to you. They're, they're stories about Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and, and the fiery furnace. They're stories about Daniel and the lion's den. They're stories about Daniel interpreting dreams and, and visions. And so uh, you can go and read this, and it'll help you get an idea of where Peter's coming from. Um, maybe, maybe at a later time we can go more into detail. But what does it mean to live as exiles among your own people? I think one of the the hardest things 
for us to wrap our mind around is the idea that even though this feels familiar, this is not our home. These are not our people. This is not our lifestyle. This is not who God has called us to be. And it's so, it's so difficult sometimes to make this distinction in our mind. Some of you, like me, you were taught that America is a Christian nation. And we live by Christian values. Can I tell you a secret? Most people you meet here, they're probably going to espouse some level of belief in Jesus. But the values and their lifestyle has absolutely nothing to do with the Bible. Their ideas are more political, more ideological. Their ideas are more steeped in their own family's traditions or ideas and ways of doing things. And what is so difficult is we grow up in that culture, in that way of doing things among these people, and then we become followers of Jesus. And we think, well, I've lived in a Christian culture my whole life. Why would I live like an exile? Why would I live like this is not my home? I could go on and on about the depravities of our society and the the unchristian-like nature of the way that we treat one another, we speak to one another, the way we behave, the things that we do. But the reality is, the majority culture, even in the Bible Belt of Alabama, is not based on God's words, is not based on biblical principles, is not based on who God has called us to be. But we live as if our hope, our authority, our relationships still flow in and through this culture. I, I don't know um, whose idea I'm about to steal. Uh, I think it was Ed Stetzer from, from Wheaton Bible College, but I can't be sure, and I couldn't find the, the quote. But he said something to this effect. He said, in the next 20 years white pastors are going to have to have a lot of conversations with their black counterparts because for the most part, the white church does not know how to operate without the favor of the political system and society and the government. And there is coming a day when those things will turn away and will not be present anymore. There will be no more tax breaks. There will be no illusion of political access or authority for the church. This has been the reality of Christians for most of history. This idea that we are strangers in a foreign land, and these values are not my values. These people are not my people. This lifestyle is not my lifestyle. I could, I could go on tonight about what it means to not gratify the flesh and, and how our culture is so bent towards gratifying and satiating our flesh. I could pick out a hundred examples of low-hanging fruit. I think, in my mind, probably the most pagan part of our culture is the way we do romantic relationships. And we could go on and on, and maybe, maybe another time and another night we can have conversations about this. If I were to try to highlight for you 
what I think are, well, let's call it the three biggest areas of temptation. Three of the biggest areas that are stopping young Christians like yourself from living as the people of God. I would say that these are the the top three, in my opinion. Sexual immorality, rivalries or gossip, and self-indulgence. I think what's interesting is if you go and you read Paul's letters, you find that the issues that he was dealing with in the Gentile churches like Corinth were the same issues. Sexual immorality, rivalries and gossip, and people lacking in self-control, pursuing the desires of the flesh constantly. How can we say that we are the people of God, his royal priesthood, his chosen nation, and live in such a way that we are at home among our pagan counterparts? How, how can we identify as Christ and live this lifestyle? I'm not talking about you made a mistake, you made a bad choice. I, I'm not talking about you were tempted and you gave in this one time. I'm talking about a lifestyle, a pattern of living and behaving that the people around you can observe. Because this is Peter's concern. He said, live in such a way that when people come to accuse you, that they would be put to shame because of your good deeds. In our minds, we can see negative trends in our culture. We can see negative trends in the direction of society. But unfortunately, a large portion of American Christians believe the answer to correct society's woes is more political activism. More rhetoric. More Facebook arguments. I know you guys don't do that, right? That somehow, if we rage against the machine, we'll fix it. I have a hard time imagining Daniel standing in King Darius' court making memes about how corrupt a pagan emperor was. I, I find it hard, I can't imagine the early Christian church under Roman persecution thinking that if they got enough signatures, maybe the emperor would stop, stop burning them alive. But you know what the early church did? They, they followed Peter's instructions. They lived their lives in such a way that people were ashamed to speak negatively. You know what they did? They went to the town dump and they found all the babies that nobody wanted and they started orphanages. They started providing medical care for the people that were on the fringes of society that everyone else counted out. Do you know if you are a social work major, the concept of social work was birthed in the early church. This idea that it was the role of the church to care for the marginalized in the society, to live in such a way that people would be ashamed because of the good deeds 
because of the righteous lifestyle of the people of God. Who's, who's going to make fun of a church that builds orphanages and takes care of children? Who's going to make fun of a church that builds hospitals to provide medical care for those who have no access? Who's going to make fun of people who lay down their lives and their rights, who instead of arguing and politicizing and scheming and creating rivalries and us and them categories, who's going to talk ill of people who just love the world well? And live such blameless lives that there's nothing bad to say about them. We've been deceived into believing that there is power and influence in anything other than living for Jesus. There is this illusion that we have bought into that this is our home and these are our people And we can fix the corruption in the world. Listen, I'm not saying that we shouldn't call out corruption where we see it. Can I, can I just tell you this secret? There's so much corruption and injustice in the world that in your own ability and in your own might, if you fight every battle that you see, you will become a bitter jaded, angry person who spends their whole time speaking evil of everyone else and not doing anything good. We look back, I told you you should go back and read Daniel. Daniel lived under three different emperors. Can you imagine? You're taken captive, taken from your home, you're forced to learn a new language, you're first forced to learn a new culture, you go through all of these trials they try to burn you alive. They try to feed you to lions. I can imagine the children of Israel saying, Lord, this guy Nebuchadnezzar, he's terrible. He's terrible. When the Lord humbled Nebuchadnezzar and replaced him with another dictator. Lord, this guy Belshazzar, he's terrible also. He's using the instruments from the temple to get drunk and have parties Lord, you should judge him. Okay, the Lord judges him. And that he's replaced with another emperor, Darius. That oftentimes, we think that we have the ability to make everything right in the world. And it's an illusion. Because this is not our home. These are not our people. This is not our lifestyle. The way that the people around us live and act and interact with one another is not our value system. Peter says, live as an exile, as a sojourner, a traveler, not giving in to the passions of your flesh. He says, but live in such a way that people would be ashamed when they bring an accusation against you. The people would be ashamed. And that through living your lives this way, the pagans would begin to take notice. That your captors would realize there is something different about God's people. That when we 
actually become the people of God and learn to live and walk and act and interact with others as the people of God, the world will take notice. I wonder one day, what would happen if we were given the opportunity that our brother Dick had to plan our own memorial service? If you had to reflect back on the way that you lived your life, your values and your priorities and where you spent your time and energy and focus, Would you be able to say that you lived the right way? That you valued the right things? That you lived in such a way that people would be ashamed to speak ill of you? And just a little bit tonight, we're going we're gonna to have a time of prayer. And uh, Gabrielle, you can go ahead and, and play the music that I asked you to play. These areas that distract us, these things that we get caught up in, they're not always bad things, they're not always bad causes, they're just not the kingdom. So tonight, this is what I encourage you to do, to live like you are not at home, like these are not your people, that this is not your lifestyle. I don't know who your enemies are. I don't know who would accuse you. I don't know who doesn't like you. We followed you around for a week. What would I learn about you? If I saw how you spent your time, your energy. I think sometimes we think about living as God's people as simply avoiding sin. And don't get me wrong, you should avoid sin. Sin is bad. Sexual immorality, rivalries, those things are bad. Our music died. I don't know what happened. But... But the problem is this. If we make living for Jesus only about what we don't do, we haven't really shared a real gospel with the world around us. The gospel is not stop sinning. The gospel is become the people of God that he created you to be, that Jesus is transforming us into something new. It's not about whether or not you have arrived. It's not about whether or not you've committed more sin or less sin than someone else in the room. The question is this. What kind of life do you want to live? What do you want to be said about you when your race is over? Will it be said that you are kind 
and generous and giving and loving? Will it be said that you laid down everything and that other people were better off because they knew you? Or will it simply be said you made a lot of money and you were really successful and you did a couple good things? We have to ask ourselves, am I living like the people of God? Am I living in a way that I'm a person in exile that those who have not yet come into the kingdom would see my life and it would, want to make, it would make them want more of Jesus? Tonight I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite you guys to pray as well. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to pray this prayer with me on your own. Don't repeat after me. That's not what I'm saying. But I want you to pray something like this in your own words. Jesus, sift me and see if there's anything in my lifestyle that's not right. If there's anything in my patterns of thinking and behaving and acting that brings shame to your kingdom, that would make people not want to be a part of your kingdom. And Lord, would you help me not just to change my behavior, but to change who I am. Changing behavior won't work. It has to be a heart change. You have to let Jesus change you and transform you into the people of God. You guys will stand with us tonight. Gabrielle's going to crank the music up, and I'm going to pray, and then you guys, I'm going to invite you to come and, and kneel and pray or pray with your friends. Lord Jesus, tonight, we want to be your people. We want to be the people of God. Lord, would you help us to learn to live as exiles, that this is not our home. These values are not our values. These lifestyles, they're not our lifestyles. Lord, would you help us to live a lifestyle that's worthy of our calling, of who you've called us to be? Tonight, would you speak to us? Would you transform us in Jesus' name? Amen. Thanks for listening to the Troy Chi Alpha podcast. For more information about the ministry of Troy Chi Alpha, you can look us up online at troychialpha.com. You can email us at troychialpha at gmail.com or find us on social media at Troy Chi Alpha. Thanks for listening.